Uh, the first question is, uh, Bhagwan describes the state of self-realization as beginningless, endless, and not broken, endless happiness or bliss. What does the state mean? I'm aware of the similarity to the sleep state. We are comfortable when we are asleep, not knowing of any troubles, but I cannot say it was a state of endless joy. How does Bhagwan describe it? Thank you. Um, sleep is actually a state of endless joy. It is only from the perspective of ego that we have come out of sleep, so it seems to have ended. <clears throat> and because sleep is our own real nature, we are now, though we remember, I slept. And we, 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 we are... We are aware of our existence, the fact that we existed and we're aware of our existence in sleep. But the exact nature of that experience of sleep, we cannot now recollect. The reason is not because we were self-ignorant in sleep, because we are self-ignorant now. Our, now, we, instead of being aware of ourselves as just I am, we're aware of ourselves as I am this person. I'm such and such a person. So we are not we are aware of ourselves, but not aware of ourselves as we actually are. Be because we are not aware of ourselves as we actually are now, we can't we can't be aware of what we actually were in sleep, which is exactly the same. What 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 we actually are now is what we actually were in sleep. So our our recollection of sleep is clouded by our present ignorance. That is, what is ignorant is ego. Ego is absent in sleep. So there's no ignorance in sleep. Sleep is a state of pure awareness. And pure awareness is beginningless, endless, indivisible. So sleep is an eternal state. It's our, it's our natural state. But from the perspective of ego in waking and dream, we seem to go into sleep and to come out of sleep. Therefore, it seems to be a temporary state. And because of our present self-ignorance, we cannot recollect the pure awareness and infinite happiness that we experienced in sleep. So we're aware, yes, I slept happily. I, there was no disturbance. But what actually we experienced in sleep, the nature of what we experienced in sleep is now clouded from us. What is now saying, I uh, I sleep seems to be defective. I didn't know anything. That is ego, which was absent in sleep. What exists in sleep is only the, the pure awareness, the Satchitananda, I am. That, that is that infinite awareness, I am. That is what existed in sleep. That exists even now, but it is seemingly covered by ego, the false awareness, I am this body. That's why Bhagavan says in verse 28 of Upadesh Undia, if one knows the, what the nature of oneself is, then anadi, ananta, akanda, satchidananda. Anadi means it's beginningless. Ananta means endless, limitless, infinite. Akanda means undivided. So it is one indivisible whole, devoid of all differences. It is a beda, a binna, as Bhagavan says in that, uh, that is the state, our natural state is the state of just being a binna without any differences whatsoever. No differences, no separation. 
that, that state of, of perfect oneness, I care. That is our natural state. E even time exists only in waking and dream. In sleep, there's no time. In our natural state, there's no time. But it seemed to us, we, we, when we wake up from sleep, we have the impression, oh, I slept for some hours. And we look at our clock and say, oh, yes, it's now um, five o'clock in the morning, so I must have been sleeping for six hours or something. It's only from a perspective of waking and dream, but sleep seems to have a duration. Actually, in sleep, there is no time at all. Sleep is, on, as Bhagavan said, it's only from the perspective of the self-ignorant ego in waking and dream, but sleep seems to be a defective state. It seems to be a state of darkness. It seems to be a state of a, a temporary state. It's actually our eternal state. So how can we know sleep is our eternal state? Only by knowing ourselves as we actually are here and now. Because what, ex what exists and shines in sleep is what exists and shines even now, but it is seemingly covered by the veil of ego. The next question is, uh, it's somewhat long, so I'll read it out. A month ago, when I was at Arunachala, one of my friends visited me. During his stay, he asked me this question. It is said that Arunachala bestows liberation when thought of. I have been thinking of Arunachala for close to two years now, but I'm not liberated yet. Why? I tried to explain to him how the thought of Arunachal works using Arunachala Padigam, verse 10, and also talk 473 in talks with Ramana Maharishi. His response was, Shiv said he will bestow liberation on one who is born in uh, Thiruvarur, uh, sees Chidambar and dies in Kashi, or one who merely thinks of Arunachala. As part of this, he didn't mention that one has to practice, practice, and practice. Only then uh, will one attain liberation. My friend's point was that one should be liberated merely when one thinks of Arunachala. And, tried, um, and I try to say that our minds are polluted and that it doesn't work like that. But if you see Venkatraman's life, he was pulled by Arunachala just by a mere thought. Is there a better explanation I can give? One simple explanation is you're, you're liberated already. According to Bhagavan, in verse um, 38 of Uludunapudu, for example, he says, Nittamam mukti nilay. This is the state of liberation, which is eternal. We are always liberated. If you want to know whether you're liberated or not, you need to look at yourself. If you, if you don't look at yourself, if you go around saying, I'm in bondage, I'm in bondage, and you've never checked to see whether you're actually in bondage or not, or whether you're liberated, you can't blame uh, Shiva saying, oh, I've thought about an actual, why haven't I attained liberation? What will, what will Shiva reply? You are already that. See yourself. That is the, we need to, the thought of Arunachala, the potency of the thought of Arunachala is that it works from within, drawing our mind inwards. But until we see ourselves, we cannot complain that we are in bondage. Saduam used to give a nice analogy, the analogy of the triangular prison. There was a man who thought he was 
he was imprisoned in a triangular prison and he was desperately searching the he was looking at the two walls and looking for a way out he couldn't find any way out so he concluded he was imprisoned but then his friend came along and said why do you think you're in prison turn around and see the third wall he turned around and saw there was no third wall likewise so long as we are attending to second and third persons we seem to be in bondage in order to see that we are ever liberated, we need to turn back and look at the first person. Then we see there's no first person at all. There's no, no one in bondage at all. Or, or to put it another way, so long as we, so long as we are, our attention is caught up in the flow of time, our attention is on the past and the future. We never attend to the precise present moment. The precise present moment doesn't mean the moment in which so many things are happening. So long as we are aware of anything happening, we are in the flow of time. The flow of time is from past to future. It never stands still. In order to see the precise present moment, we need to, what is it that makes the present moment present? It is the presence of ourself. Whatever, the, the moment at which we are present, that is the present moment now. The moment, that the place in which we are present, that is the present place here. So what makes the present place or the present moment appear to be present is the presence of ourself. So to know the present moment as it is, we need to attend to ourselves, the one who is ever present. If we attend to ourselves, we will see that we are ever liberated. So uh, bondage is a fiction. It seems very real, so long as we don't look at ourselves. But if we look at ourselves, we will see we were ever liberated. We are ever liberated. Even now we are liberated. We are just stubbornly refusing to look at ourselves because of our, we are so enamored with other things. We are so interested in other things. If we were truly interested in knowing, am I liberated or not, or who am I, we would turn and look at ourselves. The fact that we still don't know what we are means we are not yet sufficiently interested in knowing what we actually are. So anyone who complains in bondage, they have no one to blame but themselves. If we complain we're in bondage, it's our fault for not looking at ourselves because the truth is that we are ever liberated. I hope that adequately answers that question. The next question is, um, Christians say that God is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. I know that Bhagwan says that God, the Guru, and the Self are the same, and that I am is within us, or Self. But is Bhagwan God? How do us devotees define our higher power? Bhagwan seems to be everything. Was Jesus also God? It seems that everything is God. How do we come to terms with this? Know yourself and you will know you are God. Um, all differences arise because we have, all differences appear because we have arisen as ego. So the problem lies in our not looking at ourselves. If we look at ourselves, how can we, but yes, Bhagavan has said, God, Guru, and Self are one and the same. But how can we see that 
if we don't look at ourselves. So long as we're looking outwards, looking for God outside or looking for guru outside, we are missed for point. Because if God, guru and self are the same, we can know God or guru only by knowing ourselves. So we need to look back within. Yes, regarding the question, is Bhagavan God? Yes, certainly. Bhagavan starts the 12th paragraph of uh, Nana by saying, in truth, God and Guru are not different. They're one and the same. And as you say, many, many times he said, God, Guru and Self are one and the same. So neither God nor Guru is anything other than ourself. But we seem to be separate from God and Guru so long as we are aware of ourselves as I am this person. If I am Michael, then Michael is neither God nor Guru. So the, the fault lies in, me, in my being aware of myself as I am Michael. If I want to know myself as God, as not other than Guru, I need to turn my attention back to see who am I. When I see who am I, then it will be clear But God, Guru, and Self, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as they say in Christianity, are all one and the same. You are that. That which is shining within you as I am, that is God, that is Guru, that is Self. That is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. So know yourself. That is the simple message. Even in Christianity, Christ said the same thing. Look, see, the kingdom of God is within you. He said, see, they will say, look here, look there. But I say, look, see, the kingdom of God is within you. That means stop looking outside, look within. So to know the kingdom of God, to know God or to know Guru, we need to know ourselves. How can we know the real nature of God or the real nature of Guru when we don't even know the real nature of ourselves? If we know the real nature of ourselves, we will know that God and Guru are nothing other than ourselves. Not ourselves is this little person. Michael is not God or Guru. The, the little person we take ourselves is not God or Guru. What is God or Guru is that which is that fundamental awareness that is shiny in our heart as I am. Now we have mixed and conflated that with a set of adjuncts. This person called Michael or called whoever, whatever our name, the name of the person we happen to mistake ourselves to be, whatever that name that person, we take ourselves to be that, uh, that name and that form. That is not what we actually are. What is the truth? Who am I? I am I and nothing other than I. That's why Bhagavan fundamental teaching I am this or I am that is false. I am I alone is true. And I am I, that is the true name of God. I am that I am, as God said in the Bible. I hope that adequately answers that question. Now, the last question at the moment is, how do I meditate on I, on the I thought? Please explain. Um, talking about meditating on the I thought is a rather indirect way of putting it. We are to meditate on I. I seems to be a thought when it's mixed and conflated with adjuncts. So the, the, the 
the adjunct mixed awareness, I am this body, that is the I thought, that is ego. But when we are, to, when we are investigating ourselves, it's not this body or the person we seem to be that we're investigating. It's that fundamental awareness I am. So let's drop the thought and hold on to I. That is what we need to meditate on. That's why Bhagavan says in one portion in, recorded in, um, in Maharshi's Gospel, Bhagavan says, in your investigation into the source of the Ahambriti, you take the essential chit aspect of ego. That is, ego is chit jada granti. Chit means the pure awareness. Jada means what is not aware, namely this body. This body consisting of five sheaths. All the five sheaths are not aware. This, when they become entangled, mixed and conflated, that that resulting knot, that is ego or the thought called I. What is real is only the chit aspect. So we are investigating the chit aspect. So rather than thinking of holding on to the I thought, just think of holding on to I. That's all that you need to do. And what is clearer than I? Yes, sometimes Bhagavan did say for people who 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 thought, sometimes people used to ask Bhagavan, Bhagavan, you say that we have to meditate on I, or we have to investigate I. What is the I we have to investigate? Is it ego or the self? As if there are two things, one ego and one self. Bhagavan said, ego, you attend to ego, that's sufficient. Why? Because if we attend to ego, supposing we are walking along a path with Bhagavan in, in the dim light of dusk, and we see something on the path, but looks to us like a snake. And so we're afraid. We say, oh, Bhagavan, careful, careful, there's a snake there. Bhagavan knows very well it's a rope. So he assures us, no, it's not a snake, it's just a rope. But we're still afraid. No, no, Bhagavan, are you sure? It looks to me like a snake. I think I see all it moving there. So we, we, we're, we're not able to dispel our doubt. So Bhagavan says, look at it carefully. We are then ask Bhagavan, what should I look at carefully? Should I look at the snake or at the rope? He'll, of course, say, look at the snake. Because so long as you think it's a snake, yes, you should look at the snake. But if you look at the snake carefully enough, you'll see it's just a rope. Likewise, there are not two eyes. One little eye called ego, one big eye called myself. There's only one eye. That same one eye, when mixed and conflated with adjuncts, is called ego. Bereft of adjuncts, it is our real nature. It is Atmasarupa, what we actually are. So what we need to investigate is not the adjuncts. It is the essential, the fundamental awareness I am. That is what we need to attend to. Does anybody have any questions they'd like to ask Michael? Bhagavan is bringing us to silence. He's bestowing upon us his own state. Oh, there is a question from Vinod. Yes. Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Ramanaya. Um, Michael, the, 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 the previous question was actually raised by me. Uh, as you said that uh, we have to... Uh, concentrate more on the awareness uh, rather than I thought. So 
what exactly how do i actually uh, hold on the awareness because uh, uh, it's a live example like i'm closing my eyes uh, there are uh, a number of thoughts uh, flowing inside my mind mm, and then, and now there is also a kind of calmness be, beyond the every thought but i'm not able to hold on that uh, because of the the flow of thoughts which are generating so that actually is making me little um, uneasy or okay unrestful right uh, okay we thoughts are all objects to whom do they appear they appear to a certain subject that subject is what is aware of itself as i it even to think of it as holding on to awareness is uh, is not a very helpful way because awareness it's too vague a term awareness means awareness of what i'm aware of um, this pc in front of me so am i to hold on to awareness of the pc no the awareness wh- whatever else we may be aware of the one thing we are always aware of is our own existence i am it is that fundamental awareness i am that we need to hold on to um so bhagavan has given us many um many clues many pointers if you feel you're being disturbed by thoughts thoughts actually are not a problem bhagavan says etane engaleri nomena however many thoughts arise so what so thoughts are not the problem the problem is Uh, the interest we have in thoughts, because we're interested in the thoughts, we attend to them, and so we get carried away by them. What we we need to shift our interest away from thoughts, away from anything other than ourselves, and take interest only in ourselves. Who am I? That is our aim. Our aim is to find out who am I. So we need to attend to ourselves. many people when this is first said they see, they seem to have difficulty grasping how can i attend to myself the reason for this difficulty is because we are so accustomed to attending to objects it, we when we are told to attend to something we're looking for some object to attend to obviously i is not an object i is the subject and actually what we are trying to attend to is not even the subject because subject is ego which is the adjunct mixed awareness in ego we are trying to attend to the essential awareness i am that is the heart the heart of ego ego is the, is the mixed awareness i am this body the heart of that mixed awareness is the pure awareness i am that is what we are trying to hold on to so we are just trying to hold on to that awareness of our own existence that is whatever else we may be aware of who is aware of it i am so we are always aware of our own existence we cannot be aware of anything else without being aware of i because it is i who am aware so when you say i have difficulty holding on to the i it's as if there are two things there one i but is trying to hold some other i there's no other i the i that is having difficulty is itself what needs to be held on to so this this can be explained in words only up to a certain extent beyond this we can find out how to be self attentive only by trying to be self attentive that is practice alone 
will make it clear what it is we have to attend to. Um, th that is why Bhagavan called this the path of investigation. Vichara means investigation. When you are investigating something, when you start off an investigation, you don't know the final result. So as you investigate, the, the way forward becomes more and more clear. Supposing an external investigation, supposing a scientific investigation, or a police investigation, or whatever type of investigation, there's so many things we can investigate in the world. Supposing you're investigating something, supposing you're a scientist investigating some particular phenomena, when you start to investigate it, it's not very clear. But, but, but the more you investigate it, the more the way forward becomes clear. So but, but how to investigate ourselves becomes more clear the more we investigate ourselves. So investigating ourselves, to investigate anything outside, we need to gather information, so many things. There's so many different ways, depends what we're investigating. But we may need instruments. Supposing you're investigating uh, uh, subatomic particles. You obviously need very powerful instruments to investigate. Or supposing you're investigating some faraway galaxies or planets or something, you need very powerful telescopes. So to investigate anything other than ourselves, we need instruments. Even if, it, even if you're, say, investigating the behavior of baboons or something, or, or some, some other animal, or you're investigating the behavior of migrating birds or something, you at least need your eyes. You need to watch and observe. So the basic instrument of any investigation is observation. To investigate anything other than ourselves, we need the aid of the mind, the five senses, and maybe other instruments, telescopes or microscopes or, um, or uh, forensic evidence, whatever it is. But to know ourselves, we don't need anything other than simple observation. We need to observe ourselves. We need to attend to ourselves. That is, we need, uh, we need to, rather than allowing our attention to move away from ourselves towards anything else, we need to turn our attention back and try to attend to that I which is attending, that I which is trying to investigate itself. So in other words, we are, this is self, that's why Bhagavan calls it Atma Vichara or Tannatam, this self-investigation. That is, ego is investigating itself. But when ego investigates itself, what it, that means is ego is investigating its own I-ness. So the essential fundamental awareness I. Sometimes Bhagavan used to explain all these things, but sometimes people still ask, but Bhagavan, you're not telling me how I should do it. How can I do it? Then Bhagavan would sometimes say, if, it, if this was something, if this were an objective investigation, the way could be shown objectively. This is not an objective investigation. This is investigating the reality of the subject. It cannot be shown objectively. Do you need to be shown the way inside your own home? You yourself had to find the way into your own heart. So we need to turn our attention back within. Bhagavan has given us plenty of clues, plenty of pointers. We need to apply them in practice. Try to withdraw your attention from all other things by focusing it on yourself. Don't even worry about withdrawing it from other things. Just try to attend only to yourself. What is this? What is 
that is, you cannot deny the fact that you're aware of your own existence. You're aware I am. So what is this awareness I am? Try to attend to it. It's not an object. You, you, you can't find something to attend to, but it, it is the background of all experience, that awareness I am. One very nice clue Bhagavan gave us, he said, whatever may appear, to whom does it appear? So we need to turn our attention away from everything that appears back to ourself, the one to whom it appears. Does that help at all? Or do you need it? Do you think you need any further clarification? Mm -hmm. Partially, uh, I, I I may need some more clarification. But then again, it points out to the mind. Uh, uh, say some say for example that uh, I hope I am not eating out the time. If anyone has any no 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 there's no one have a question. So that they see this is the most important thing. That is Bhagavan's teachings are all about investigating ourselves. So this is what we need to understand clearly. Yeah. So, but, but again, that points out to the mind which, which is thinking, uh, Michael. Uh, the, uh, when you say the mind that is thinking, we need to think. We need to think deeply about these When we say the mind is thinking, thinking there are two aspects of thinking. That is, thinking means we are forming thoughts in our mind. But we are not only forming thoughts, we are also aware of thoughts. Though we can analyze it as these two, forming thoughts and being aware of thoughts, actually it's one and the same. Because where do we form thoughts? In our awareness. So the, the, what is essential is not the forming of the thoughts, it's being aware of that thought. What is it that is aware of this thought? Who am I who am aware of this thought? To whom did this thought appear? That's why Bhagavan often said, to whom did this thought appear? That, means, no, that doesn't mean we ask the question. Some people misunderstand it and they think, oh, you have to wait for the next thought to pop up and then ask the question. To whom did this thought appear? To me, who am I? No, it's not a matter of questioning. It's a matter of investigating. So we need to turn our... When Bhagavan says, uh, investigate to whom, he means that we should turn our attention away from whatever has appeared back towards ourselves, the one to whom it has appeared. Mm -hmm. So, as I say, that is, in order to understand this path correctly, first we need to, we need to read Bhagavan's teachings carefully and think about it uh, deeply. Uh, because it, that is, in order to follow this path, we need to understand Bhagavan's teachings correctly. We need to understand that the I that we are trying to investigate is not any object. It is that to which all objects appear. It is the subject, that the knower of all objects. So it's turning our attention away from everything that is known back towards the knower. So the more we clearly we understand Bhagavan's teachings by reading his works like um, Nana, um, the more we read his words, his words have their own power to turn our attention back towards ourselves. But what is most important, that is, studying his works, that is called sravana. 
thinking carefully about it and trying to make sense of it, trying to understand it, that is called manana. But most important of all is nidityasana. Nidityasana means actually putting what he's taught us into practice. Nidityasana literally means deep contemplation. What are we to contemplate? We are to contemplate ourselves. We are to attend to ourselves. So the more we turn our attention within, the clearer it will become. The very fact that you're having, you're having difficulty grasping this shows that you haven't yet put it into practice. The more you try to put it into practice, the clearer it will become to you what Bhagavan's words mean. We cannot understand Bhagavan's teachings without putting them into practice. Because if we just try to understand the words, we can only understand on the surface. We, we cannot get a deep understanding. The only way to deepen our understanding is to put it into practice. So we need to, we need to patiently and persistently try to turn our attention back towards I. We're trying to find out, what is this I? Who am I? So we need to be so interested in, in, in knowing ourselves, in attending to ourselves. Why this seems difficult is because our mind is, so, is rushing out with so much speed because of its interest in other things. Let's set aside our interest in other things for, for a few moments and try to be interested in there's something in me that I'm aware of as I. That is, I am aware of myself as I. What is this I? It's not any object. It is me. Who am? Who, what is it? Me. Who am I? That that that's the, the closest it could be said in words. Another way I can try and say it: Are you not aware of yourself? We have to say yes. We are all self-aware. We're all aware. I am. Nobody can say, "Oh, I don't know what I am." We're all aware. I am. But though we are aware, I am. We are so interested in other things that we are overlooking or neglecting I am and attending to other things. So we need to give up our interest in other things and by taking interest in knowing who am I. So we are, usually, we are always aware I am, but generally are, we are negligently aware I am because we're more interested in attending to other things. We, instead of being negligently aware I am, we need to be attentively aware I am. So it's not any new thing we are trying to know. It's what we always know. We always know I am. But because of our interest in other things, we're overlooking I am. So we need to try to be attentive, attentively aware I am, or attentively self-aware, instead of negligently self-aware. But it yeah. will become clear only to the extent to which you put it into practice. And in order to put it into practice correctly, you need to think deeply about what Bhagavan is saying. True. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Right. Well, all thanks to Bhagavan. It's Bhagavan who's told us all these things. I'm just pointing out what Bhagavan has already taught us. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Michael, there are two questions. Yes. Okay, Giovanni had raised his hand. He was about to start. Should we answer his question and then the other two? Yeah, I have a very simple question. Mm. Usually, uh, there is a division in 
three of deep sleep, dreaming and uh, actually being awake, plus maybe a first state. However, I think there is something much more complex because when we are awake, we, on one side, we receive information from the world. We have a perception, but then we can have memories. And dreams, uh, being awake, we have memories of something, or we can imagine something, or we can uh, imagine how the universe is done, but we are not looking at it. Is everything is happening in a, is, is this similar to dream or to being awake? Is a, I always wonder about okay. this. According, according to Bhagavan, there is absolutely no difference between dream and what we take to be waking. What we take to be waking is just another dream. So long as we are dreaming, we seem to be awake. That is, at nighttime when you're dreaming, you, 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 so long as you're dreaming, you assume you're awake. You are experiencing yourself as a body. You're experiencing a world that seems to be outside. You have memories. You, you, um, Everything that we experience in waking, we can experience in sleep. There's nothing that we experience now that we cannot experience in sleep. In, in sorry, in dream, in dream. So we have absolutely no evidence, but our present state is anything but a dream. The reason we always take our present state to be waking is what is actually real is only I am. But Whenever we are in a so-called waking state or dream, we are aware of ourselves as I am, a, I am this body. This body is part of a dream world. Because, I, because I'm aware of myself as I am this body, since I am is real, this body seems to be real. And since this body is a part of this world, the whole world seems to be real. So our present state, always seems to be real. The world we experience in our present state always seems to be real. Always, we always assume it there's a world out there. When we are dreaming, so long as we are dreaming, it all seems to us to be real. When we wake up from a dream and come to this state, we at once recognize that that was a dream. Why is that? So long as we were dreaming, we were aware of that dream body as I. So the dream body seemed to be real and the dream world seemed to be real. When we, when we wake up or come from that dream to this dream, we, our identification with that dream body is severed. We no longer experience that dream body as I, because now I'm this body, not that body. Because I no longer take that body to be I, that state no longer seems to be, uh, that, that body no longer seems to be real and the world no longer seems to be real. That is why dreams seem to be real so long as we are dreaming. As soon as we wake up, we are immediately able to recognize, oh, it was just a dream. It wasn't real. While we were dreaming, we may sometimes have had doubts. We may sometimes have thought, oh, this can't be true. This can't be really happening. This must be a dream. But still, it seems to, even though we think like that, it still seems to be so real. Okay, thank you. So what, what, the one thing we need to learn from all this, what is actually real, what, that, that is, Bhagavan gave a very simple definition of, of what is real. What is real must be eternal. 
unchanging and self-shining. The only thing that is eternal is what is we experience equally in all the three states, that is I am. That is the only permanent thing. Everything else appears and disappears. Everything else is changing, but I am alone remains constant. So I am is eternal. I am is unchanging. We say, oh, no, no, I've changed so much. I was, um, 60 years ago, I was a young boy. Now I'm an old man. Things have changed so much. What I knew then, I don't know now. All these changes are changes in the body and changes in the mind. What remains constant is I am. So I am never changes. Everything else changes, but I am doesn't change. What I am, what we identify with may change, but I am itself remains unchanging. So we are, so I am is eternal. I am is unchanging. And I am is self-shining. That is, it shines by its own light. The mind is not self-shining. The mind shines by the light of aware of that fundamental awareness I am, but is shining within it. So the mind borrows its light of awareness from the original awareness I am. So the only thing that is real is I am. Since I am alone is real, that is what we need to investigate. Okay, thank you. This body, now we are aware of ourselves as I am this body, but this body cannot be what I actually am because I'm aware of myself in sleep without being aware of this body. I'm aware of myself in sleep without being aware of a dream body. I'm aware of myself without being aware in sleep. I'm not aware of anything other than myself. So who am I? I am I. I'm nothing other than I. So I alone is what we need to investigate. I alone is what we need to hold on to. Everything else, all the perceptions and memories, and these are all just various types of phenomena, objects. They're all objects, things known by us. We are trying to know the truth, the reality of the knower. To whom do all these things appear? That is what we are to investigate. Okay. Thank you. There's another question. <clears throat> Hi, Michael. Sometimes you mention the subject in different ways. Sometimes you say there is no subject in awareness. Can you clarify what you mean in all contexts, please? Thank you. The subject is ego. Ego appears in waking and dream. It disappears in sleep. So in the state of pure awareness, there is neither subject nor object. As soon as we rise as ego in waking and dream, all objects appear. So objects all appear in the view of the subject. Or as Bhagavan said it, uh, he often referred to the subject, ego, as the first person. And everything else is second and third persons. So only after the first person appears do second and third persons appear. Without the first person, second and third person do not exist. He says in Nana. He also says very much the same thing. In the, that's in the fifth paragraph, end of the fifth paragraph of Nana. He says much the same in, the, in the verse 14 of Uludunapadu. So subject is the first person, I. But the subject is not the pure I. It's the pure I mixed and completed with adjuncts. In other words, the 
adjunct mixed awareness, I am this body, I am such and such a person, I am Michael, or I am whoever, uh, that is the subject. That's, as, as, as such, the subject is unreal. But though the subject is unreal, there is an element of reality in the subject. That element of reality is that fundamental awareness I am. That is, the, as, as ego, we are always aware of ourselves as I am. But unfortunately, we're not aware of ourselves as just I am. We're aware of ourselves as I am this or I am that. I am this body. I am Michael. I am such and such a person. I have such and such a life. I have a story. And uh, so many, that's Abhimanam. That's our identification with that person. That is the problem. But what is the, the, the within ego, there is that fundamental awareness I am. That is what we need to know because that is what we actually are. So when we are aware, when we are in the state of pure awareness, that when we're aware of ourself as ourself alone and nothing other than ourself, there is neither subject nor object. So long as we are aware of anything other than ourself, those other things are objects. We who are aware of it is the subject. So subject is just another way of referring to ego, that which is aware of all, of all objects, all phenomena, that is ego. But the, the reality of ego is just the fundamental awareness I am. That is, ego is always aware of itself as I am this body. In that mixed awareness I am this body, uh, the chit element is that I am, that is what is real. That is Sat, that is Chit, that is I am. 